15, verse 20 through 21. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. Good morning, church. Please open your Bibles to John chapter 11. I think most of the time death is no joking matter. But for this introduction it will be. A fellow was on his deathbed and he brought his wife into the room. He said, honey, I've got a final request. I'd like for you to go down to the bank, take the money out of my fishing account, which you may be shocked is a little bit large now. I'd like you to get it into $20 bills, stuff it into a pillowcase, and then place it up in the attic. She said, why in the world would I do that? He said, well, first of all, because it's my last request. And I, I'm just hoping that when I leave this bed and I make it through to the attic, I can stop and pick up my pillowcase of bills on the way. She said, honey, I don't think there's going to be any need for cash in heaven. He said, well, you never know, and I just want to cover my bases. I mean, they may need money for tackle and some lures and maybe even some beef jerky. And she said, all right, I'll do it because it's a last request. She went down to the bank, got the 20s, put it in the pillowcase, put it up in the attic. And three days later, he left to go to the big bass tournament in the sky. A few days after the funeral was over, when everything had settled down, she remembered the money. And she went upstairs, and sure enough, there in the attic was the big bulging pillowcase full of it, just as she left it. And she looked up to heaven, and she said, I knew it. I should have put it in the basement. <laughs> oh, it's terrible, isn't it? Laughter is our first choice, usually, in dealing with the subject of death. And when we can't laugh about it, we often come up with other names for it. And someone has breathed their last, we might say. We might say they've kicked the bucket or they're taking a long dirt nap. They're pushing up daisies. They're not with us anymore. They've gone home, passed on, bit the dust, bought the farm. All of those are idioms that we use to describe a word that we don't like to deal with much. Well, when John writes his gospel, he arranges maybe the most powerful of Jesus' seven I am statements. He arranges it to the last. Each of these I am statements, as we've seen, proclaims the huge significance of Jesus being the Son of God and what it means to our life. And in this last one, he announces his supernatural power over death. And I think he does so in an extraordinary way, but we've, we've kind of come to believe that that's kind of the ordinary way Jesus teaches his disciples anything. God's ability to provide, <laughs> taught by the turning of a sack lunch into a feast for thousands. God's desire to take the gospel to everybody, done so with a five-time marriage loser at a Sanhedrin well. Ah, but she becomes the very first missionary for Jesus. Jesus establishes God's priority of mercy over justice. And he does so with exhibit A, a woman caught in adultery, the very act of adultery. Now here in John chapter 11, I have to believe the old apostle smiling as he's writing down still one more eyewitness account while he looked on at Jesus moving through this world of ours. And this is an extraordinary remembrance. And it all started when Jesus gets a telegram. 
In his day, it came usually via personal messenger. And here's what the telegram said. A good friend of yours is sick. Please come. Let's read exactly what the text says in John 11, verse 1. Now a man by the name of Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Now this Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. And when he heard this, Jesus said, Ah, but this sickness will not end in death. No. It is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Let's pray. God, I don't know why it seems like we sense your presence more on some Sundays than others, but it seems like that you're here in a unique way today. We welcome you. We always welcome you. But um, whatever you're doing, we ask that it have its full effect in enabling us to leave here looking a little bit more like Jesus than we walked in. We're not the only ones who are after that. Southern Hills Baptist Church we know is meeting right now. They're preaching. They're singing songs of praise to you. They're breaking bread. And they're hoping. No, they believe that you are the Son of God. And they want it to matter in their lives like we want it to matter in ours. So will you... We continue the prayer Andy began at the very beginning of the service. Would you help us leave here looking a little bit more like you, with a little bit more life in us for a world that seems so dead in so many ways? We ask us humbly in Jesus' name and everyone said. I am more familiar with the smell of death than I want to be. Death stinks. It stunk when my grandmother died of a brain tumor when I was seven years old. My 19-year-old brother was killed in a car crash on the night that I first took Gail out on our first day. My sister died of cancer just months after I began working with the Kerrville Church here. My birth mother died of cancer when she was four years younger than I am now. My stepmother of over 45 years died of cancer just two years ago. Carlene's husband, George, was like a father to me. He died like I think many of us hope to die, peacefully surrounded by his family in his home and in his old age. Add those experiences to over 50-plus funerals that I have presided over, not even mentioning attended, and I am no stranger to the smell of death. I know with our modern sensitivities with technology, with the funeral industry, sometimes we forget that there's a stench that accompanies death. We can remove the deceased, we can embalm them, we can put them in a magnificent coffin and put them on display. We can surround them with flowers, we can, we can place other sweet smells and aromas and music and great videos around the moment. We can try our best to keep the smell covered. But it's there. And you can come to the preacher like often happens to me and say, now we don't want any tears here. And I always think, well, good luck with that one. I've seen to witness that tear ducts have a mind of their own. And as much as we want to say, this is a celebration of life. There's not going to be any tears here. Jesus lets us know in the text this morning 
There's a place for tears when we come face to face with death. That sadness has a place no matter how merciful the death might have been. And the reason is, death stinks. And the odor of it sometimes is hanging in the air long before it arrives. In Theodore Dostoevsky's greatest novel, The Brothers Karamazov, try to say that one fast three times. There's a Russian saint in a local city, and his name is Father Zosima. And as he draws close to death's door, the entire community is buzzing with anticipation. What will the death of the world's greatest living saint be like? They expect that when his body dies, it will smell like, I'm telling you the truth, perfume. Of the sweetest kind, even, because he's a saint. And so when he dies, they put him in a room, and somebody has the audacity to suggest, you may want to open those windows. And everybody starts berating this person, saying, what do you mean, O ye of little faith? This is Father Zosima. But as the day rolls on, people start noticing. There's a stench in the air because his body's decomposing. And all of a sudden, the sense of unbelief starts moving through the community because They've got to come to terms with the fact that even with this favorite of God's servants, yes, even a saint, death stinks. Now, I don't know the picture you have of death. But death in Greek mythology is pictured as a river. It's known specifically as the river Styx. And it is a wide, deep, foreboding, poisonous river. And to get there... You have to bury the dead person with a gold coin under his tongue so that they can give it to the riverboat captain, Charon, and then cross over. Death is often talked about in the Civil War spirituals this way. I've got one more river to cross, the black slaves would sing. My mother, she'll be awaiting there, but she can't help me cross. My father, my brother, my sister, they'll be awaiting there, but they can't help me cross. No, I've got one more river to cross. The truth is, all of us do. Hebrews 9 verse 27 says it as clearly as he can. There's an appointment every one of you in this room are going to keep, and that's to die. And then will come a judgment. Dr. Matthew Maxwell ran a senior living home in Dallas for decades, and he witnessed the stench that comes with death many times. His was one of the first kind, this senior living home. And the Christian Chronicle, writing about his life, told the story of Dr. Maxwell as, as he got older. He was still running the place, but some of the people on the board thought that they needed a younger whiz kid from college with a business degree to come in kind of shake things up and give him a new perspective. And so they hired one, fresh out of college, here he came. He was making the rounds with Mr. Maxwell one day, close to his side. The young man was making notes about how they could improve the equipment and the procedure, all the while Mr. Maxwell's talking about the people and their needs and their challenges of what it's like to be 85 years old. And the young man interrupted while they were walking. He said, I want to know, who wants to be 85? Dr. Maxwell replied, every 84-year-old I've ever met. 
Uh, Woody Allen said, I don't mind dying. I just don't want to be there when it happens. Why? Because death stinks. And it stinks even in the Bible. Particularly here in John chapter 11. And by the way, it literally stinks in John chapter 11. When Jesus finally arrives in Bethany, he goes to the cave where Lazarus is buried. And Martha warns him in this pre-embalming world, Lord, he's been dead for four days. He's going to smell. And I love this verse in the old King James Version. All of us teenage boys had a field day with it when we first found it in Bible class. Mary says in that old world translation, Behold, he stinketh. Kind of adds some eloquence to it, doesn't it? He stinketh, Lord, and it's been four days. It's because Lazarus' body's decomposing. It's because death stinks. Of course, in the symbolic sense, it stinketh even more. The sisters are grieving the loss of their brother. They're not going to get him back, they think. And because of that, that stench is even worse. And all the while they're attempting to process, where in the world was this wonder worker who could have prevented this death? Now, we're not told what the sickness was that Lazarus contracted, but the sisters Mary and Martha both believe Jesus could have reversed it. He could have healed it. And so that's why they sent in the telegram. Jesus was a no-show. Now, on purpose, we know, and we don't have time to go into that, but Jesus did go into that with his disciples on their journey to Bethany. But the girls don't know that. They've been left wondering in the weight room, where is he? And when he finally arrives, they just exclaim, and I love the honesty, Lord, if you'd been here, this wouldn't have happened. It hurts my heart to say this, but I think many of you shared similar thoughts, similar disillusioning thoughts in the weight room. God, we sent out a telegram to come and to come quickly. And you didn't. Our business died because you didn't come. And our marriage died, or our dog died, or our two-week-old daughter died. Maybe you're here this morning and the death hasn't occurred yet, but the stench of it's in the air. Death is close. Maybe for some of the items that I've mentioned, maybe for others. You've sent God multiple telegrams, haven't you? We really, really could use your help here. Without you, this isn't going to get better. And you've been in that weight room, it seems like, forever. So you understand the frustration and the hurt that's in Mary and Martha's heart because it doesn't look like he's coming. Well, God's got a word for you today. Some of you know the exact location of the hands of the clock when your loved one passed. And even though years and decades may have passed, it still just stinks. And I'm sorry. Yes, there's disillusionment in those statements of Mary and Martha, but listen closely, there's also faith in their frustration. 
We know, Lord, we know, Lord, we know it. If you'd been here, this could have been prevented. How's Jesus going to respond to all this? I'm so glad we have an eyewitness who records this. It takes its toll on him. That's how he responds. There's grief everywhere. And remember, this is someone he loves. When Martha sends word to him, the telegram comes and it doesn't read, Lord, your brother's sick. It doesn't read, Lord, your friend is sick. It doesn't read, Lazarus is sick. The telegram simply reads, Lord, the one you love is sick. Your buddy, your friend, your compadre. And he's not doing well. Come quickly. And he doesn't. He waits two days, the text tells us. On purpose, the text tells us. He's got a plan, the text tells us. God always has a plan. It's trying to tell us. Often an unrevealed plan, like he's not revealing it to Mary and Martha, and like he's maybe not revealing it to you. But maybe it's because he does reveal it to the disciples on their way. He tells them why. And they don't get it. And probably neither would we. Jesus arrives in Bethany and there's grief everywhere. And even though Jesus has tipped his hat, something amazing is going to happen when we get there. Right in the middle of this story are two words that every new scripture memorizer dreams of. John eleven thirty five. 35. Jesus wept. The two shortest words of the, two sh- of the one shortest verse in the entire scripture. I think it's a good question to ask, why the tears? And I think the answer is because that's what God does when he's in the midst of brokenness. I sure hope by now you've got a place in your heart that you understand God is not some cold android removed from the pain or the hurt or the frustration of our world. He doesn't put death in in one room and then he, he goes and he lives in the next resurrection room just close by. The resurrection room filled with unicorns and rainbows and cupcakes while he watches our lives on some CNN television. Away from all of that stuff. Away at some kind of distance from all the hurt and the frustration and the ugliness going on in our world. In some New Year's Eve party while we're stuck in our grief. No, that's not the story that I read. God is in it with us. If there's any message Jesus has tried to convey by his coming, it's that I'm always in it with you. Always. And it goes even further for those of us who are followers of Christ. He promises he's in us. And so if he's in us, he's with us in all the stuff we're asked to deal with. Matthew 28 and verse 20 gives us his word in another way. Surely I am with you always, even to the end of the ages. Never doubt that. It's because he's no stranger to our grief. Now, there may be no tears in heaven. We sing that all the time. We've read it in Scripture. But there are plenty of tears here. And we're here. And because we're here and we welcome them inside here, he's here. Even knowing what's ahead of us. Even knowing that resurrection lies ahead of all of us who are believers in Christ. And make no mistake about it, these are some believers in the resurrection. Like many other Jews, Martha and Mary had come to believe the scripture of Isaiah, the prophecies of Isaiah in chapter 65 and 66, that one day God is going to bring a new heaven and a new earth 
and restore all things like he'd always intended them to be. They believe that. So much so Martha says in verse 24, Oh Lord, I believe that in the last day my brother will be resurrected. Hmm. Well, watch. Because Jesus wants to more than just give her a new take on the end times. He wants her and everyone present to see what in the world can happen, what's possible when the resurrection and the life is in their midst. Not just some doctrine, not just some theory. Jesus says these words to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, I'm telling you, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? I love Martha's response. Yes, Lord. Do. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world. And all the church said, Amen. What an amazing confession. And it is the clearest yet of any disciple in the Gospel of John. And with that, Mary and her sister have some business to take care of with death because Jesus turns to the space where the stone from the tomb has been rolled back. And I love that John records even this minute detail. Jesus says very loudly, Lazarus, come out. I don't know if he did it in a low voice or a high voice. Lazarus, come out. But he said it loud, all right? Loud. Why? Why did he shout? Randy Harris says it's because the dead are notoriously hard of hearing. I <laughs> love that. Lazarus, come out! And he does. Bound in his death clothes, he hops out, I think. Jesus says, take off the grave clothes and let him go. You know he was in a bind. I don't know if he hopped or not. And here's the response. Wonder. Amazement. Belief. John records this too. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary had seen what Jesus did, and they believed him. They believed him. Now, sister, notice, nobody is saying, look at what Lazarus did. <laughs> Not any more than the crowd celebrated the jars that held the miracle wine, or the boy's sack lunch that launched the miracle of all buffets. Now, those who saw Lazarus walk weren't saying, wow, look what Lazarus did. They marveled and they wondered at Jesus and what he did. But this is just one more sign. Remember, they've been building all along. Just one more sign among many signs, and he's not done yet. But just one more sign that points to the fact that he really is the bread of life, that he really is the living water, that he really is the light and the truth and the gate and the true shepherd and the resurrection and the life. The one who said that just might be who he claims to be. And John 11 teaches us that with him in your life, with him leading your life, death may still always stink, but it will not have the last word. It won't. Now, it was decision time for Mary and Martha back then, and it's decision time for you. For Mary and Martha, they had had someone do more than just expound upon the theory of the resurrection. They had witnessed life where there was death and I'm just curious have you have you walked with Christ long enough to actually see something that was dead alive that with him decaying things and dying things and dead things 
dead souls and spirits and dead hopes and dead bodies and dead marriages and dead careers and dead relationships and dead religion. Death of all kinds doesn't stand a chance with Jesus Christ. So let me ask you, what do you truly believe about Jesus? Is he or is he not the resurrection and the life? Now, if you say yes, then he invites you to live like it, to live in him, to live for him, and to live forever. Not everybody is going to choose to do that. Lord willing, when I get back from the sportsman's yearly famcation, which we're about to leave on, Chris is going to be here next Sunday, and he's going to be preaching the word to you like very few can. But when I get back the following week, we're going to look at some folks who are not thrilled about this. They don't just think that death stinks. They'll agree with Jesus on that, but they think he stinks. Now, if you found yourself in that place, Maybe even before you walked in here today, but somehow or another the Spirit was present here today to hopefully start turning your life away from that towards believing He really can change your life. He really can. And that's no joke. It's no joke. It's the way, it's the truth, and the life who's speaking that to you. Not me. Father in heaven, we come to you at the close of this message, and I ask you specifically if you've brought someone here who brought their deadness with them. Maybe it was their own heart. Maybe it's a broken heart because there are some dead things in their lives, and they're just not getting any better, and they're worn out with being in the weight room. If that's a brother or sister, and they just need us to put our hands around them and say, we'll wait with you. Because you promise that those who wait upon the Lord will have their strength renewed. They will mount up on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk not faint we claim that promise and we'll, we'll claim that promise in prayer over a brother or sister if, if they need that and if you brought someone here today who walked in here and they want, they want this life they don't want to go another minute without him being inside them giving life to all that's theirs would you please help them come find me or one of our elders and we'll see them experience their own death here through baptism and to see them raised to walk in a newness of life that they, they, they could never imagine. But, Father, we, we come professing as a church that although death stinks, you're greater than that. You're greater than that. And there is a fragrance that comes with your resurrection that trumps all of that stench. We give you all the glory and all the praise in the church set. Let's stand and let's sing, church.